0: Welcome back everyone to the Shock Absorber podcast, it is as as always, I always say that as always, always, lots of always in the intro, <laughs> welcome back to the Shock Absorber, it's lovely to have you along with us, and I have two lovely people dressed in black shirts joining me today, Yeah. usually it's Tim and Stu, but today it is Tim, hello it is. Tim, hello
1: Joel, how are you? I'm very well, thank Why you. Why
0: do you sound like an AI bot, hello Joel, hello
1: Joel, <laughs> I am glad to be here. <laughs> That's good. I don't know. And
0: uh, for the first time on the Shock Absorber, (laughs) Lewis is joining us. Hello, Lewis. Hello. Thank you for coming on. Mm. Uh, Lewis, you are a a Berea intern here at Soul Revival Church and also second year? First. First year, sorry. First year at Moore College College. student. Uh, Mm -hmm. But you've also done YouthWorks College prior to that.
2: Yeah, did two years there.
0: Where Tim, I believe, was your lecturer. Is that right? For a couple of subjects. In a couple of subjects, yeah. yeah. Uh, good times yeah, yeah so thank you for coming on okay. uh <laughs> we always start with a cultural <laughs> artifact and we're trying to we were like what's going to be one and then i said lewis talk about why you enjoy japanese culture so much so mm-hmm. have at it <laughs> oh wow um that's <laughs> nice a broad it's really nice super broad because you went, you went, panic you went pretty me. recently right january yeah yeah and it was a good time
2: it was pretty excellent
0: yeah what did, what was your favorite thing about going to Japan in on that particular trip or the highlight?
2: I think I've read not heaps but I think like probably more than most people about Japan and stuff mm. and I went with two friends who have a have an interest in Japan but probably only in as far as it's like I like the things that come from Japan like games or music or something like that but and so it was sort of fascinating watching some of their reactions to certain things, um, particularly them just trying to pick up on like cultural customs and stuff. And <laughs> it was just pretty entertaining at times. But you're like,
0: you're like, oh, that's not right.
2: No, I mean, like I, I was still learning a lot too. Like you can only sort of read mm. so much about something. Mm. Um, you got to experience it. Yeah, before you go there. Mm. Um, something I never got used to was the fact that you can't hand people money when you pay for things. you got to put it on a little tray. Oh, uh, yes, I do remember and that. And push them the tray. I mean, oh, I wow. would think
0: I was in last – I mean, the only time I was in Japan was in 2002, but I mm. do remember that. Yeah. It, yeah. Is, it is an interesting thing it to have to do, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I don't really understand what the connotation is. I think it's sort of seen as like, it's a bit crass, you know, like a bit thug-like maybe if you just sort of like money straight waving to yeah. money around or something. Mm. But yeah, we obviously are pretty loose, don't mm. think too much about that sort of thing. So, mm. yeah. Did you, uh,
0: <laughs> this sounds like a really culturally insensitive comment, but did you <laughs> get, do, get, do, um, go and do teppanyaki?
2: no no actually we did not do i've done teppanyaki but um not in japan Mm. trying to think of what the most interesting cuisine consumed there was Mm. but we weren't very adventurous it wasn't it
0: wasn't a boss coffee
2: (laughs) we had a lot of boss coffee actually
0: what so can you for the listeners and watchers who don't know what boss coffee is (laughs) which it probably includes me to a degree (laughs) what is a boss coffee I mean, it's becoming more popular, I feel.
2: It's kind of huge. I think Australia has a particularly big investment in like their coffee culture. So mm, I guess yeah. it, it works. But yeah, Boss Coffee is effectively just a brand of coffee from Japan, canned iced coffee, or hot coffee actually over there because they have the heated oh, vending, the machines. vending machines. the machines, yeah. Um, mm. And that's it. It's just, it's really just coffee. I guess it has a sort of unique branding behind it, which makes it sort of a cultural thing
1: even just buying coffee in a can is kind of, I mean, it's, it's not right? I, I don't, maybe there are, I can't think of any other brands. It's even iced coffees like. They're typically in bottles, aren't
2: they? Yeah, yeah. bottles or cartons it's or true. poppers or like there's lots of. There's a few brands now, I think yeah. that are catching on, but yeah, it's still pretty mm. uncommon. Mm. But Yeah, I don't. So it has that iconic
1: look like it's. I guess yeah, so. Well, because it's the only one in that. It does have cool
0: branding, and it's a cool name, isn't it? It is. It's fun. Yeah, it's a boss. Yeah. Yeah, you Uh, feel like a boss when you drink
2: it. (laughs) (laughs) There's actually a series of uh, commercials they did. Do you know? Do you know who Tommy Lee Jones is? Yep. Yeah. Like the old. He's uh, two-faced. Batman Forever, man. Is he? Yeah. Well, I I know from I know him as the the men in black guy.
0: Oh no, Tommy Lee Jones, the actor. Yep. Okay. Yeah, the actor. Yeah. Yeah, You know the men in black. I think of uh, Tommy Lee, the drummer for. um, Oh yes. Uh, Motley Crue. Motley Crue, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to get them mixed up all the time so I okay. apologize. Yeah, but Anyways. Tommy he was in uh, What's the one that he did with uh, is it Mel Gibson's on the run? No, Harrison Ford's on the run. Oh, The Fugitive. The Fugitive, that's the a good Fugitive. movie. It
1: yeah. is a good movie. He's I the, forgot he's, that he's in it. Yeah, he's the he's leader I of the think you're right, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I of of forgot about he is. that. Yeah.
2: yeah. I just know him as the men in black guy, but yeah. Yeah, he's he's in men in black. They do a series of commercials still ongoing I think of him where he plays an alien trying to assimilate into <laughs> life in Japan <laughs> and, the, and the episode and the, or the, the ad ends each time with him drinking a boss coffee with oh, really? someone okay. and it's, um, they're very, very funny. That's cool. Okay. Yeah, he, look that he, he's yeah. like the boss coffee guy in Japan now, okay. like Tommy Lee Jones, like this old American dude. Actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they love him. Wow. That's crazy. And they're what do you funny. think
0: is the enduring appeal of Japanese culture for you?
2: Um, is it unique? It's something I ask myself a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's, yeah, you kind of, I've just done it for such a long time that I'm at the point now where I'm questioning it. It's like, why do I care? Um, and, yeah, frankly, there's just, it's, there's something very other about it, which makes it like fascinating mm-hmm. as an onlooker. But, two, I think there is something about their cultural output. Their art, which somehow has resonated for long enough that it still brings me back to it, mm. so I don't know. Mm. It's probably too big of a question to
0: elaborate on now. But oh, that's yeah. right. It's an extremely unique place to go, I think, isn't it? And mm. when you think about it, like it's reasonably small on the map too, but it, it has yes, like it has a lot of cultural significance because they're yeah. They're so. They're, I find uh, Japanese culture. They just they hold on to it very very. Tightly mm. and ensure that things aren't changed about it too much. Um, and I think even I remember when I'm going there, it was like, I don't know if I want to live here, but this has been one of the coolest experiences. I went for yep. the world well, when the world cup was on. Oh, yeah. So that was a little bit different. I was just traipsing around Japan, but I loved going. Well, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, uh, I think we've talked about this before, but I'm a big fan of transport systems and mm-hmm. the transport system in Japan is very well organized and very good. well run. So mm-hmm. like you go on the bullet train but also just even on the the subway oh it's mad and the, the like sinjuku station we were we were quite we stayed quite close to sinjuku station which is like probably the biggest subway station or where all the li- a lot of the lines meet yeah and it's it's all underground but it's underground of like hundreds of buildings almost like it's yeah, it's, it's so huge um
2: the trains there were insane i was telling the story actually at bible study the other night we had two delays our entire trip there mm. One was when like a freak snowstorm occurred, oh, really? which is like, what are you going to do? Yeah. The other one was like there was a death on the tracks, and it delayed the train by less than five minutes. Wow. Wow. It's just like insane.
0: That is insane. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's crazy. Um. Just thinking about the 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 outside's influence of their culture, mm. and you guys know Japan better than I do, but I'm just thinking, I wonder if some of that comes from their Confidence, their self-confidence of knowing who they are mm. as a people, mm. um, and whether that has some resonance with the way that we've talked about, you know, raising young people to be confidently Christian. That you, can, mm. if you've got a self-confidence in who you are because you've got an identity, um, then it doesn't really matter what the outside world says. Oh, you should be like this. You should be like this. You know, oh, no, no, we're just going to be uniquely us. Uh, I wonder if that might have something to do with it as well. I um, think
0: it's a very good, very good point. Uh, because I even did, a I did a uni degree. It was business and commerce with a major in sports management, but I had a chance to choose an elective, and I chose politics in post-war Japan. Okay. Not because I was that interested in Japan, but it was uh, I went to University Western Sydney, and that was the closest campus at Bankstown to where I lived. But then I ended up really enjoying it because it was like it was just such a an insight into such a completely different culture. And I, but I think you're right, Tim. I think it was, yeah, that being confident in that particular culture meant they were happy to stick with the values that they think they represented as, as their culture. So yeah, I think it's a good yeah. point.
1: I'm wondering, um, Lewis, you, as well as just broadly Japanese culture, you've done, yeah, probably again, more reading than most people um, <laughs> on the church and, and Christianity in Japan as well um Mm -hmm. you want to just share some of your insights about uh Mm -hmm. a little bit of the history of christianity in japan as far as you've researched and also Mm -hmm. kind of where it is at the moment as well
2: Mm -hmm. okay well when i was asked into the shock absorber (laughs) i did not expect this (laughs) (laughs) uh uh, yeah as far as i understand it was introduced in 1800s uh from uh, one of the earliest sort of western nations japan traded with was the um the Dutch, oh, yeah. and through the Dutch became a Christian influence. And uh, early on, I think maybe like late 1700s, early 1800s, they'd begun to um, sort of establish some towns and churches there and trading ports, and then slowly over time, like Portuguese missionaries turned up, a lot of like yeah, European missionaries. Um, and I don't know the exact details, nor will I go into them all, but effectively there was a decision on the part of the government to sever their ties with um, the church, because it was mostly the Catholic church, had, had a like, primary presence there, if not a sole presence there as well, um, as far as I understand it. And they sort of saw that as a threat to national security because they, they saw it as like they have, the people have their allegiance to a foreign nation, basically. Mm. Um, and so the heavy persecution sort of ensued, um, almost eradicating it, really, um, until, say, pre-war close to like, like late 1800s, Japan started to westernize quite rapidly, um, opening up to all the other countries and Christianity sort of crept back in, but there was such a strong cultural dominance, particularly in the war, uh, about sort of basically emperor worship um, and about like the uniqueness of Japan and their, their divine calling effectively uh, to win the war and blah, blah, blah. And now in post-war Japan, um, I think... I I don't know if I really understand the, what's happening. The church there—it's <laughs> right. mm. um, astronomically small. It has remained less than like two percent, basically, of the population. Um, which, if you look at any developed country, is I'd say unprecedented, frankly. Right. Um, well, you th-
1: compare that with uh, South Korea, and there's yeah. obviously mm. there's significant. Yeah, cultural historical differences, yep. but South Korea is a place which has also uh, rapidly modernized. Mm. Um, but the, mm. yeah, Christianity is enormous. Yeah, in South China Korea, China is growing too. Like yep.
2: it's um, and yeah, Japan is just just rigid un- mm. unchanged almost. Um, and I find that aspect fascinating. Actually, just in itself, it's like why why is that? Um, and I don't really understand. Mm. Um, but I think it's definitely linked to their sort of historical religious foundations and their roots and how that's influenced their culture and thinking. Um, I think it's a very unique culture and history and a unique mindset. Mm. Um, And I just don't know if people have figured out the way to successfully church plant there yet, or if there even is a way to, you know, at least in this current cultural climate, like maybe something has to change, I don't know. Um, But it's, it's an ongoing battle, like I think, it's yeah, people still figuring it out. Mm. Mm.
0: Well, already, I'm glad that you came on the podcast. So I've just learned something that I didn't <laughs> didn't know before then. Before we do get on to like talking about the other things that we were going to talk about, Lewis, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm a, a big fan of your story, <laughs> becoming a Christian. Because if anyone wants to check it out, you can. If you're actually on two Chip Lunch podcasts that we do as our sister podcast. But, um, Lewis, you kind of came to church and for a very long time before coming a, mm-hmm. becoming a Christian. And then you went to YouthWorks College, and now you're at Moore College pretty quickly after becoming a Christian. Mm-hmm. Why did you want to get into studying the Bible so soon after becoming a Christian? Can
2: I interject quickly? Yes. just want to correct myself. Uh, Christians <laughs> were in Japan in the 1500s. Persecution was in the 1700s-ish. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. 17th century persecution begun. Okay, you were close. Close Um, Close-ish. By about a hundred years, but. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So don't listen to me too much. Um, Why did I want to study that? Um, I, In high school, particularly adolescence, young adulthood, um, I'd say the more I reflect on it, the more I think it was really like a, can't think of it in any other ways apart from a calling. Hmm. I don't use that word lightly. I find the language of like feeling cold strange, but um, yeah, the questions about death and purpose, um, morality were pressing, uh, crushing, even um, in a way that I'm frankly not many people I've ever met seem to experience. Um, most non Christians I know, when I just sort of talk to them about my experiences and the things I thought about about death and um, just et um, what is it all about? They just seem, frankly, like unfazed by it, which is just something I cannot fathom. Um, there was sort of no point where I was not deeply disturbed by, the, by what was happening in the world or with the issues of death and pain and um, meaning uh, and purpose. And so, yeah, I think constantly there was a constant wrestling and a searching uh, leading up to the eventual... Gradual conversion <laughs> um, wasn't very climatic, but yeah, I think in looking for something for so long, it was just kind of felt like the only path forward, frankly. I just just wanted to l- launch into it and learn more about it, yeah, right. Um, that's sort of where I am now, yeah, that's cool, yeah. Mm. Was he a good student, Tim?
1: Oh, always, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. model textbook, model student. textbook <laughs> yes. student, all the time.
0: All right. Well, let's thank you, Lewis. It's really cool to have you on the podcast. And obviously, you'll keep contributing. I'm not kicking you off right now. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> but, um, my up. question was to go to Tim now because we had our planning day uh, last weekend. Mm, we did. Uh, it's one of the times where we all get together as a church and everyone from church is invited to come along and start thinking about what God has got planned for us as we partner with him as he's building his church through us. Um, we talked about... A lot of it in the previous podcast of like planning for the planning day but Tim you got up right near the beginning and did a a really great what we call it is it a bible talk or a bible study or
1: yeah I don't know what it was actually flagged with it was basically kind of a mini sermon Yeah, we want to um yeah we are we're Christians we're evangelicals we want to ground everything we do as a church on god's word and so therefore it's appropriate to start with god's word not to just jump into our thoughts our plans but actually to orient ourselves uh, through the scriptures to what god is calling us to be and you know we are we are flawed and we are fallible and yeah we may not always get that right but we're constantly striving to put ourselves under the authority of scripture and say okay what is it that god wants us uh, to do What what is it that he is directing us and Um, so yeah, so we we looked at Romans 12, 1-8, and talking about being, having our minds transformed by Christ, uh, not by the world, and then Paul naturally transitions from there into, okay, so what does this actually look like in practice? What does it mean to have your mind transformed? Uh, it is to live it out in the congregation and amongst the body. And so then the body metaphor was a really great, uh, opportunity to talk about, both our theology, um, which is Jesus changes everything because that's what Paul talks about for the first you know, eight chapters, 11 chapters of Romans. Um, and then he leads into the, uh, yeah, putting this into practice. And one of our strategies we talked about a couple of weeks ago is that we strive to have an all age, all stage community. And part of why we do that, uh, there's lots of multifaceted reasons why we have chosen that as a strategy, but one of them is we actually believe that it's biblical and that the body of Christ metaphor, that there's a diversity in the body of Christ Mm. um, and that that diversity is for the church's good. And so part of intentionally being all age or stage and creating uh, congregations which are structured around difference and diversity uh, is actually for our common good. And so, yeah, so we got to experiment with that and and think about that, and then we talk about practice as well.
0: Yeah, so just to clarify for people, uh, we kind of call our why, how, and what as a church as theology, strategy, practice. And then... After you'd done it, which uh, I had a number of people feedback to me that you did a f- fantastic job. I think it was, it was, and I agree, I think it was really clear. and But also, having it so biblically grounded was really important. But then we moved on to kind of talking about what well, today is really about implementing ideas, but through the filter of that theology strategy practice and but the one thing that we did try and emphasize a lot was the strategy was that and we've talked about this so many times on the podcast that how important the strategy is for what you're doing everywhere else Um, an example for us is we always want to be intergenerational as much as possible but also we have a meal at every gathering and so that's part of the strategy but how that looks like in practice might be different so on friday Saturday and Sunday nights we have dinner, but we have other gatherings where we will have breakfast instead. But it's always we always make sure we have a meal. <coughs> Excuse me, Lewis, Can I ask you a question? Were you there? You were there for Tim's talk, weren't you?
2: On the gather, uh, the planning day.
0: Yes. Yes. Sorry, just double checking. <laughs> the was that helpful for you? Because I'm uh, you were uh, obviously. Not obviously. I, I had the one thing I forgot to mention was you're also one of our youth leaders. Mm-hmm. But is, do you think that was helpful? What Tim talked about and then how we kind of followed up and, and emphasizing that strategy. Did you find that interesting slash helpful? Like, what were your reactions to that? Was it clarifying for you?
2: Mm. I must confess, in my my memory of of any talk, any sermon is typically the feeling it leaves with me. Okay. So if you ask me, like, what was last week's sermon about? I'd be like, it was about Samuel. I can't, I can't remember. It's like it asking
1: me if Lewis was a good student. Yeah.
2: Give me a live on-air assessment of how Tim did with
1: his sermon. Yeah. It was the best sermon I've ever heard <laughs> um,
2: But I remember being pumped. I'm like, yeah, like this is what, I think like on the day before we were talking about like at the meeting before we the were. planning, they were talking mm. about like, what is so revival And mm. what does it mean? Um, and the language we use. And I just remember thinking like, yeah, like that is us. Mm. Um, and yeah, as someone who sort of was the I think you emphasize from memory like the sort of relational aspect of our church and why that's really important. Yeah, and just without even looking for it in books, it keeps coming up in Christian biographies and books that I read hmm. about the testimony of like relation uh, Christian relationships with like non-Christians and how that influenced them, uh, like the non-Christians I mean um, and that was that was huge like. For me, if not pivotal in my becoming a Christian, Mm. if I did not have a place to to not only hear what Christians believe and think, and to have my questions answered, but to see how they live as well, Mm. um, and the way they treat you and um, love you, like Mm. it's yeah, I can't imagine going to a church where you just walk in for the service leave. I don't think I would have become a Christian if I didn't have such an emphasis on relationships and. Community, mm. yeah.
0: And going back to the meals, that's one of the reasons why we do meals at every gathering because it allows for that extended time to mm. create those relationships. Um, I, In terms of my reflections, uh, I think we went into it as the planning day talking about implementing ideas. And I think as a staff team, I'm really thankful that we're all really aligned on that strategy. Mm. But what I th- ended up just observing during the day was that it was also... Uh, the planning day is also a, a continual effort to help other people that are not part of the staff team to be aligned with the strategy as well. And so I think throughout the day it became a little bit less about implementing ideas, but more about going. When we have ideas, this is what we're going to test them against. I don't know if that was your experience, Tim. Sorry, you just having a bit of a yawn. I apologise for being yeah. boring. <laughs> hey, we we keep everything real on this podcast. But <laughs> is that was that something that did you did that become apparent to you as well or and might have just been the groups that i was leading but it was that how you felt you you were kind of needing to remind people about our strategy
1: uh i think uh i mean i'd probably do it intuitively almost in that that's naturally how my brain is thinking you always pushing to the why and um whether it's here at church helping people see the why or whether it is when i do consultancy for youth works helping them to at least see their own why um Mm. so you can keep pushing back to that um but yeah so i did find that helpful and we did do that uh the main space i think that i helped lead that discussion was in oh there, there were two different conversations we so we split up at one point in our service teams which is our um the different types of ministries. We talked about the 10 service teams. Again, you can go back two episodes and, and listen to us talk about those. Um, but we got youth, young adults, children um, service teams together. And we talked about what have we achieved in the last 12 months? Where how, where are we right now? Where are we going? And people were throwing out ideas. Uh, and what we did is we tested a number of those ideas through that structure and particularly that why, that, sorry, the was well, the how piece, isn't it? The strategy is the how. And is this idea going to reflect an all-age, all-stage community? Um, is it going to add positively to that? Is it going to be hmm, kind of neutral? Or is it actually going to undermine that in some ways? Even though it might have some other benefits, um, if it's not going to structure the way we do church together, uh, then we're going to lose some of our, I suppose, confidence in the way that we do ministry uh, in a uniquely soul revival way. Mm-hmm. And like we said two weeks ago, it's not the because you know, where evangelists for survival so is the best way of doing church, but as you have to land somewhere and the more convinced you are and aligned you are with your own convictions, then it's going to, you know, shape what you do and You know, we are blessed to live amongst, you know, we often use the phrase church amongst churches. You know, we are one church. There's lots of other ways of doing church and there's lots of other beautiful churches in our area who do wonderful, beautiful things, Mm. um, who will do things different to us, and that's okay. Um, But our strategy, keep bringing back the ideas of, here's, let's pitch this idea, great. Does it align theologically and then does it align strategically with how we are uniquely doing ministry, then... Uh, and then what would it look like in practice. So, yeah, I did find that. Um, so, the service teams, and then we also split into gatherings. Um, so, I was part of the Sunday morning gathering team, and same thing. What are our strengths over the last 12 months? Where are our weaknesses? Where are we right now? Where can we grow? Mm.
0: Yeah, and I th- I, it's interesting to use that language, undermine, and I think that's a, maybe a good way to say that it's not intentionally undermining, but there can be some ideas that, perhaps get in the way of executing that strategy as well as we possibly could. And I think that's a good way to think about it rather than saying that's the wrong idea. Because obviously people are going to come up with ideas and they want to bring ideas to the table and I think that's perfectly reasonable um, and perfectly logical, but it's, it's an interesting way to say, well, actually that idea may undermine what we're doing as a church, which is what has helped us through God so far uh, achieve what we've been able to achieve and we're really blessed to be able to do that but if we start allowing particular ideas to undermine those areas we may see that not fall apart but really not be as effective as uh, that's what I hear you saying anyway but I think it's cool. Lucy I just want to pick up one more thing on the planning day you said that like you were kind of uh excited Mm. And interested, but what do you, why do you think that was the case? Is it because you just felt like there's a direction moving forward?
2: About sorry
0: about the so when we talked about the strategy mm. and you said that it was great to hear about that, were you enthused by it like that? To hear that that, that was actually where we were heading.
2: I think it yeah it is, it is exciting because I think going to youth group now is like 60, 70 kids every week, and I'm like mm. oh that's. That's me like that's where i was right and like they're going to grow up with the same church because like the strategy's consistent and we're like sticking with it you know what i mean mm. and i've seen it work in myself and in others and i'm confident in it and it's exciting to be like oh like we get to share it with them mm. and they get to live through church going through the same thing it's like yes that's why it's exciting mm. and seeing mm. like we had like a bunch of our youth actually there they did um, yeah front yes. Row.
0: yes over the plane yeah, yeah. And i was like that's sick <laughs> yeah it's sick that was a really good example i think uh, youth is on Friday like most churches mm. but yourself is a, and your story is an interesting product of the time that we invested in Friday night and the youth mm. group and everything else for people your age and younger to grow up into our community and as an example my son who's in year four mm. has just started coming to fuse our mm. year five and six group uh, at the end of year f- at the end of year four we'll people to start coming into that well sorry we ask them, we invite them to come in we don't allow <laughs> anyone can really come at any time sort of while yeah. if they want to but um uh he's now seeing youth on a friday night so fuse finishes and we all have dinner together and then he's seeing the gathering and he's like there is a pathway for me to grow up in this church mm. and i think that's uh as a parent now seeing that happen is a really exciting thing mm. to see because I'm now seeing... So he's having great discussions about being a Christian and what it means and about his faith and all those kind of things was fantastic. But then to have another influence on him at church to be teaching him that as well and then seeing other people who are doing exactly the same thing. So he has a... It, it's not exactly like he has a future, but he has a he can see that pathway from now, even though he's been going to the um, Soar Revival Kids on a Saturday night as well. But mm-hmm. even from that, we have a, p- a pathway for them from year four all the way up until year 10 when they graduate and become part of the, the main gathering mm-hmm. and also for late night and things like that. It's just really exciting to see. And, and mm-hmm. it is a result of that strategy. So, Tim, I might let you speak to that too because I think you probably will speak to it a lot better than I thought. But that part, those pathways, as our children's minister or children's pastor, I should say. That's um, an important thing for us is we see children as the church of now, not just tomorrow. And we've invested a lot of time in figuring out those pathways uh, and you've had a lot to do with it. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to speak speak <laughs> about it if you wanted to add anything to that.
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, w- <laughs> like one important part of that is when we say the children are the church of today, not just the church of tomorrow, that what we do with um the the ministry of children's ministry and youth ministry now is really essential because of who they are in this moment not just who they will be in the future mm-hmm. uh and so uh, part of you know having your son in children's ministry for the last how is he ten nine he's nine nine years uh is because all of that uh during all of that space he's had the opportunity to understand Jesus and to express his faith in Jesus in age-appropriate ways. And so that's really, really significant. And it's really, really significant for him now as a nine-year-old to continue to find ways to express faith as a nine-year-old. And so we want really effective children's ministry. We want really effective youth ministry because right now those children are disciples or at least can be disciples of Jesus, have the opportunity to be because they can respond to Jesus in faith. Mm. So that's a really key part of it. And then we also, yes, want to have their, a pathway for them to follow. Um, and part of that pathway is having the, I suppose it's a, a programmatic pathway, as in, yeah, you, you go from children's ministry into, uh, well, there's an overlap there with our fuse, which is uh, kind of like a kids club. We think of it kind of like a junior youth group, but essentially they're kind of the same. But it's Friday night. Um, and so that's there and there's, there's an overlap there for those who have come through Soul Revival Kids on the other weekend gatherings to also come on a Friday night for usually year five and six and then fourth term is that slow intake of year fours. And then from there, they, the next pathway is to uh, be coming to youth on a Friday night, uh, not, not the junior youth program, but the youth program proper with high schoolers um, and also at their gathering to come along to the gathering itself, and yeah. not the Sorrow Bible Kids program. So there are there are programmatic elements where we're sort of moving them up, and then as you said, when we get to year ten, our youth group uh, is year seven to year ten, and so uh, once they've kind of graduate out of youth group, within um, again there's that invitation to continue in community with us and express that through uh, late night on a Saturday night. So after our gathering on a Saturday night after our dinner uh, then there's kind of a bit of a, a shift in tone I suppose on the Saturday night where it kind of shifts into late night proper um, and uh, Lewis might be able to speak a bit more about that because he's, he's more connected with late night than I've been for a number of years um, so there's that programmatic movement but another really key part of that is we've been a relational community all the way through
0: yeah that's what I was going to say yeah
1: And that's really, really key because one of the uh, problems that churches have created for themselves is when you have really strong identities as here's kids' ministry, here's high school ministry, here's young adult ministry, here's the rest of the church. When you have sharp distinctions between those, uh, that's where people lose, uh, Mm. you know, they, they leave the, you know, production line. <laughs> it's like a breaking point. Yeah they, yeah, they come off the conveyor belt. We think that if we put a baby into preschool at church, then you know by the time they're 30, they'll be in the main church. And it's just this just do faithfulness all the way through. But actually there needs to be relational glue that holds all of that together. Mm-hmm. And that's where the all age, all stage approach. So even though your son has been at SoRevival Kids for a part of Saturday night, Actually, he's involved in Saturday night as a whole, um, and so he participates in dinner just like the teenager, just like the thirty-year-old, just like the sixty-year-old. He engages in the relational time just like all the other ages. He engages in Christmas and Easter and a week mm. away, and mm. um, yeah, some of them, as I said, we're also at the planning day, just mm. like all the others. So there are all of these other relational aspects, and that's what will keep uh, people uh, moving through the sometimes the harsh change in programmatic elements but actually it's not that harsh because there's a relational thing so when your son came to um fuse which is our kids club on a friday uh, he walked in he was a bit nervous this is his first time there's a whole lot of older kids a couple whom he knows but a whole lot he don't because they've got this a number who come on friday nights that don't come from saturday night yeah. but then there was some relational connection to saturday night there was a couple of other kids but then there was me and some of the other leaders and he walks in and goes oh tim's here and so he goes, oh, and I know this person, I know this person. So there's the relational connection means that um, it wasn't just, here's a whole new group of people, you don't know any of them, see you later. Um, it also means that for the next bit of Friday night, so he stays for dinner uh, and, you know, you're, you you stuck around last week as a family, well, yeah, you, you and your son, we both here mm. over dinner, and... Um, and all the teenagers who are going to be here youth group are already arriving. All the youth leaders are already arriving. He's now part of this overlapping community of interlocking relationships. Mm. Uh, and so for the next two years, he'll be overlapping for an hour and a half, uh, 40 weeks a year for two years, whatever that is, how many hours of relationship is potentially has there in that space. So that actually when he stops coming to kids club but starts coming to youth, there's still that hour and a half overlap uh, that he's already knows, he's super familiar with. Um, And there's a whole lot of people who are not different. Like they're not new faces. He might not have met them all before. Like they might not know his name. He might not know their name but they're super familiar because they're always around mm. and they're always smiling at him and saying good day and mm. playing handball or whatever it is. And so those relational, that relational glue is really, really essential.
0: Yep, I think mm. that's right. And here also, they're playing a game called fresher, which I don't know the rules to. I believe that's a created game by someone at our church. Oh, it's, oh, it's, it's a, pretty widespread. It's widespread? Yeah, okay, I've seen cool. that in a lot of okay, churches. so I was wrong about that.
1: I don't understand it. It's a yeah. game that I've heard explained dozens of times. I still don't get it. <laughs> it's the, I think it's the most complicated game I've ever tried to understand. Really? Yeah. Well,
0: there's a lot of running involved.
1: Yeah, and that's what it usually descends to is let's just run. Yeah. And which is tip. fine. Yeah.
0: Uh, but he <laughs> had a re- reasonably big fall and on his knee and I said, it's a uh, big graze on his knee and I said, well, it's not the first night of youth ministry unless you've got a Injury. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Just being making clear, we don't go out to injure people <laughs> intentionally, but there's always something something going on. Would you agree, Lewis, as a youth leader? There's always it's, something going on at youth.
2: It's yeah, it's inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> Not intentional. Inevitable. Yeah, totally.
0: So let's uh, let's move on. We talked about planned day. Kind of talked about the reason that we, uh, uh, for various reasons, things happen in our church and how we filter through ideas. Uh, you brought it to the table, Tim. Ooh, an article I did titled are churches growing or Are Christians just shifting yes is that based on uh, us talking about what it meant to be like what church is for
1: yeah I think similar to the last article I brought you know we had a conversation here on the podcast and then an article pops up in my feed um <laughs> and I'm just like oh that's connected thank so you
0: algorithm th- thank you algorithm <laughs> thank
1: you uh Siri for always listening to everything I say Ooh. um So, I don't know. I don't know what it is. (laughs) But um, you've – yeah, this came up and I thought it was interesting. It actually is – uh, potentially, the title is a little bit misleading mm. because uh, the article—the article is titled "Our Churches Growing or Our Christians Just Shifting." Uh, Stephen McAlpine is a minister um, and frequent blogger, uh, lives over in Western Australia, and this was a guest post by mm. a friend of his, um, talking about the church that they have in Perth, and. I thought, or the title thought, oh, this is exactly what we've been talking about on the Chuck Absorber uh, is about the movement of churches. And it was particularly the conversation we had uh, the episode two weeks ago in Stu's backyard, where we were talking about wanting to measure uh, kingdom growth, not just membership growth. And we were trying to tease those apart because your church can get bigger because. Christians leave other churches and come to yours mm-hmm. and you can kind of go, oh, look, our church is growing and, growing, yep. and that can be uh, affirming and it can be encouraging. Um, it can be really restful for those, particularly if they have coming um, from a place where they feel hurt or burn out or a little bit dry spiritually and a, sometimes a shift can help them sort of kickstart something spiritually for mm-hmm. them and so we've seen that a number of times. Um, people might have been starting to become irregular at their church because they were finding yeah whatever reason and they come to a new, something new and that kind of reshifts something for them and God can use that opportunity to grow them. Mm. So we never want to undermine the great things that can happen when Christians come to a new church, mm. find it refreshing yeah. and mm. flourish as a disciple because of that. So that's wonderful and that is good ministry that is able to be happening. Mm. But when we talked about it as a planning day or the, when we were planning for the planning day, We wanted to notice that is good, but we also want to be able to somehow acknowledge and measure when people become Christians. And so we were trying to tease out this difference between growing in membership, growing in number of people who are in your church versus those who are becoming Christians and therefore joining your church and so this was a bit of a challenging article because he asked the question our church is actually growing or are christians just shifting around mm. um very early on in the second paragraph he says actually it's the second one christians are just shifting around and then he kind of goes on to how we respond to that which mm. so it, he doesn't really dig into that question wondering why it might be or you know dealing with it he just kind of says as a pastor how do you uh, deal with the fact that you might be growing through transfer growth rather than through gospel growth. So helpful things in the article it didn't quite go where I thought it was going to go, though. But oh, yeah, okay. it, was, it was it was a good article. I just uh, wasn't quite what I thought from the title.
0: Oh, okay, because it does mention. Hang on, is it various reasons that people might be using? Hang on, like I need to actually find it. Reasons why
2: they're moving. Yeah, is it reason why? It says, oh, of Five
0: Considerations in a Culture of Congregational Movement. That's what he termed it, sorry. Uh, and he says gloating, grieving, guarding, guiding, giving thanks, getting help. So you've got the five Gs. That's always yeah. helpful. Uh,
1: Which again was more about the heart of the minister who is in the growing church. I think oh, it seems to be his, I see. who he's writing right, I towards. See. Yep, um, And part of it is autobiographical. And so he's kind of writing, it seems that at this moment... He is in one of these churches that seems to be growing, mm. um, and he's made this realization that actually a lot of these people are coming from other churches, which is and so he's trying to guard against a uh, well, the our first one gloating that um, it can feel it can fuel your ego that oh, obviously we're doing church right because people want to come to us, mm-hmm. so that's the first one. So he, uh, all of the the five or six G's whatever he's got are all about. Um, the heart of the church pastor. So he, he's largely writing to church pastors, um, yep. particularly those who are at the growing side of that church mm. equation, not those of the shrinking congregation, um, though he touches on that as well.
0: Mm. Yeah. Lewis, you had a quick look at the article. Any, any thoughts immediately um, come to mind?
2: I think it was the... I've never actually considered the perspective of like people move churches. Like We've had a lot of people move to our church recently, it feels like, Mm. Um, in particular, I know quite a few people have come from one church and the reason that they're moving is because in their own words, it's sort of effectively dying is sort of their way of describing it. It's it's on its way and they're quite Mm. sad about that. And um, it's like we were talking about, like, yeah, it's great that they found a new church where they feel like they're connecting and it's good for the individual, but at the back of your mind, it's like, man, but a church is dying yeah um and while numbers are good for setting goals and all that stuff yeah it's yeah i think like that the point i think he's trying to make is that it's about the kingdom's numbers not your church's numbers Mm. um which is frankly not a way of looking at it i've considered
0: um well also because you probably i mean it's the same for me i've only really been part of one ministry too mm. whereas uh, for example even if it's especially if it's a, a pastor they see a lot more people come through i suppose yeah. i mean it, they, it could be the same ministry but yeah you uh, and i wonder if it's a way that we've grown up too. you and i in soul rival ministry mm. and or tim has as well i shouldn't, I shouldn't discount <laughs> tim either but tim has a lot more experience in experiencing other ministries but i do wonder if it's uh maybe a credit to some to some degree to our leaders of making sure that we do remain humble and knowing like we we even said at the planning day like we're partnering with jesus as he builds his church it's not Mm. it's not us even though consistently and i've been trying to um articulate this better but we're consistently tricked into thinking that we're doing it on our own and that can be in parts of our lives but then even as a as a pastor for example it must be even harder knowing that you're you're a leader you've been set aside as a as a shepherd of the flock so Mm. to speak and then if you're being like as we we have to guard against being tricked into thinking that yeah we're responsible for this or we we had we have autonomy over this um, and yeah. I think maybe that's one of the things that the, the writer is trying to um, ward against or at least warn, warn people against. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I was chatting with uh, Mike Dicker, the principal of YouthWorks College, the other day at um, lunch. He's still principal, right? He's he is. Not, yeah, he's still yeah. principal. <laughs> yeah. Just sure. um, and we were sort of chatting about how it's not the only job, I suppose, like this, but uh, being a minister of any kind, like your whole identity and meaning and your purpose in life is bound up with your work in a sense. And he was sort of making the point where it's like, like, how, how do you as a Christian respond when your church, you know, the, the work of your life and your heart mm. fails or someone says you're doing a crap job or whatever, like, and he was talking about how hard it is to, I suppose, yeah, remove your ego from that. Um, that even though you can be aware of like, oh, like my identity is rooted in Christ and it's not about me, but it's about him. Like you, still, like you still sort of pour your blood, sweat and tears over something and you do it servant-heartedly and with passion and love, right? Like you care deeply. It's not, it's not just work, um, but yeah, seeing things go wrong and getting harsh feedback is is crushing. And it doesn't surprise me that people do sort of fall back onto – I guess some of these these coping uh, mechanisms like, like gloating and trying to bolster yourself and how you feel about your church because um, it can very easily become something you ground your emotions and your worth in. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely good to be warning against it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, know. it'd be so
0: hard. Like, I mean, every minister or pastor or anyone on staff that I know just works really hard. Mm. And then to be like, if you feel like a, oh, we were talking to someone today that their church plan they decided to close up their church plan for example like to have to so knowing you're working so hard for something that you truly believe in you want people to know the gospel mm. and then have that taken away from you like it's a, a, a very large bruise to your ego yeah and i think you need to be obviously you need to be careful of that but it's kind of getting off the point that we're talking about in terms of growth mm. but tim what was uh, after reading it and obviously sharing it with us, mm. what was your enduring takeaway from it? Is in regards to your own, like you, you're you in a, a variety of leadership positions. What was your own takeaway? Did you have anything you wanted to apply?
1: Yeah, I think the I mean, the application he's driving towards, which I find helpful, is, uh, as, as I said, sort of guarding your heart Uh, particularly when your church is doing well. And I think Mm -hmm. this is where I resonate with what uh, Lewis just shared and and Tico obviously was sharing was, um, you know, what does success look like as a minister of God? And it's easy to tie, you know, I am doing well at being a minister by the number of people at church Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. how people are growing in their knowledge and love of Jesus and how people are becoming Christians. uh, But a lot of that is outside of our control we obviously input into there we're prayerful about those things but god is the one who makes things grow and so part of this is i mean as he said he's writing as on the side of the the pastor whose church is growing just to remember that actually if your church is growing uh it's because god is at work um and so you can um don't gloat but also he talks about Grieving for the church that um, people are leaving from, and so as Lewis said, we've had some people from come to our church who are grieving the loss of their church, mm. um, and for us to mourn with them and to sit with them in lament to say they they have invested a lot into their church and they feel that their church um, is mm. not a healthy place at this particular point in time, and so really guarding ourselves against going well glad that's not us glad that we're doing okay and yeah. but actually entering into their grief and not just their grief but the grief of the ministry team at another church who may be on the shrinking side of this shifting of Christians mm. you know how might that how must they be feeling you know if they also mm. um, if, if we wrap our identity up with how our church is going um, then when it's doing really well we'll be tempted to pride and when it's failing we'll be tempted to despair uh, and so I think he sort of guards against both of those by trying to set it outside of ourselves and not um, not make the size of our church and part of our identity but it is really hard I mean it's it isn't just ministry that you form an identity about the job that you do and the work that you do um, but it is really significant because it also tied up to our spiritual Identity and who we are in crisis, easy to conflate those kinds of things together. So I just found the, um, as I said it, it didn't quite go where I thought it was going to go, but the the instruction that he gives and the encouragement he gives in terms of um, yeah guarding yourself, uh, guarding your flock as well. He talks about uh, he talks about the you know need to guide, give thanks, getting help, all of those kinds of things this is great. We'll put the uh, link in the show notes, mm. but. Yeah, I did. I did find a really helpful um, reminder of how to think about church and church ministry. Mm. Uh,
0: Lewis, as someone studying the, the Bible at college, mm-hmm. does this article and what came out of it and what Tim's talking about does that kind of change your perspective on going forward? I mean, you are only—I f- mean, you've been to YouthWorks for two years, mm. but you've also just and he's just started college as well. Yeah. But is he, are you thinking about it differently?
2: Like a future in ministry, do you mean
0: no more just like if you have a future in ministry, does this article have an impact on how you've been thinking about it?
2: Um, sometimes I think about how limited my church experiences mm. so revival is my first and only church um, and I've only visited really another, like a few small ones I mean my the closest thing to um, a church context outside of my own is going to YouthWorks and to more college. Um, And that's not, it's not real, like it's a Christian community, it's a gathering, but it's not really a church either. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I sometimes think I'm so used to, I I don't say this in like a boastful way, but in a sense, like I, I am sort of used to things going well in church okay like my experience was I joined this church when we first started and my my whole mind you I've not been that closely involved with staff and and the church itself and I wasn't a Christian until fairly recently so Mm. this is maybe I've missed some pivotal moments long ago but my (laughs) my impression has always been like our church has just always gotten bigger and more people have joined and things just in my mind seem to keep growing and getting better um and like I don't think like COVID. I think in my memory, like COVID was the biggest hit we ever took. Um, and that, although it was it was difficult, it wasn't like the church schismed or something. You know what I mean? And or blew up. Um, but I, I suppose like that that kind of hardship that's being spoken about in this article about potentially losing your church and like a church falling apart. Um, Like he is talking from the perspective of someone who's having people come to him, right? And so the whole point of the article as well, consider this other church and like, yeah, it makes me wonder, like it's one thing to talk about like, yes, when people come to our church and from their broken church and blah, 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 and, and that's part of the thing he's warning against is probably don't get too used to your context or your... What's happening what god is doing in your church um because one day god might take your church away and you might end up moving to someone else's church mm-hmm. um but yeah my my ministry at Soul revival would always be like like i wonder how many more church plants we'll have <laughs> 10 years from now and <laughs> blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> you just you just shouldn't count on anything because god will do whatever he wants i guess um for the best but i feel like i'm rambling at this point but it's it's i think it just has made me realize that yeah church is not and again interacting with other churches with people moving from our churches and going to college hearing stories about other ministries and churches and things going wrong um it's like yeah okay like these are these are things we need to watch out for and mm. um, and protect our church from mm. um difficult things which i've not had to deal with myself yet so i don't know and uh, as well i mean where i thought the article was going
1: to go which is more in line with where we talked about two weeks ago was um that church growth through people movement a christian movement uh is fine um but what we should be deeply striving for is people who are not yet christians becoming christians and so he doesn't really get into that which is i found surprising it's given the setup but uh that's kind of the point that we were trying to make in our planning for the planning day was we actually want to celebrate when people become Christians, uh, when those who like Lewis um, uh, go from darkness to light. That's the really key thing to be Mm. looking at and that's the one of the metrics of a healthy church is not just that Christians find your church more attractive than the church next door that they were at but you actually people are becoming Christians the, the, the gospel is growing that mustard seed is becoming the mustard tree Yeah, that, all of those kind of ministry that Jesus gives of things that are growing and flourishing and we should expect that from a healthy church uh, that people are coming into the light from the darkness because of the ministry of that church that would be the, the normal rhythm of things and so we we should expect that. Um, talking about numbers is always fraught um, yeah. because, again, we can't we can't control that. You know, it's God that is doing the work, uh, and yet it is also significant to notice um, and to celebrate um, when you know Jesus talks the story of the lost sheep. You know, he goes out and finds the lost sheep and brings it back, and the whole village celebrates with Jesus when he brings a lost sheep out of the darkness and, and back into the light into the fold again. And so you know, that's the old attitude we want to be cultivating as well. We want to be looking out on mission. We want to be thinking about those who are not yet Christians. We want to be rejoicing with those uh, who are contemplating Christianity um, or are coming along because they enjoy the community but are deeply not committed which is yeah where lewis was for a long time um and then all of a sudden yeah god spoke to your spirit at just the right time and yeah became a christian that's Mm -hmm. what we want we want to see and celebrate those things
2: yeah Mm
0: -hmm. and yeah i think yeah and but it's in a way it's hard to measure that isn't it which is why we have things like articles and discussions about it because it's like how do we actually make that happen and i I wonder if it's a uh kind of like just a human thing of like we just need to f- we just need to know but then it almost goes back to something i was talking about earlier is that well we can't be in control of everything yeah and we can only partner with god and allow him to do what he's going to do um because we, we we talked about um japanese culture and we were saying how how unique even going to Japan is like you were saying Lewis and that's probably because they are they they have a, a really strong commitment to holding Those particular values that they think are true and, and really important mm. in their country um, But then we also said like one of some of the shadows might be that you know There are some shadows around Possibly around Japanese culture, and I don't mean to be demeaning a, a Japanese culture either. I mean every culture has its own shadows, mm. but Holding onto that so hard is also you know can be a shadow, and it's I think it's similar to church that so we can be really strong in our identity in Jesus that's always there, but we were also talking about strategy in church is that that's it's a kind of our church's identity is it mm. our local church's identity is it's really helpful to stick to that, but there also can be shadows of sticking way too hard on that um and then Talking about like transfer growth and and just focusing on pure metrics, and not an ideal way, as this article highlights, and mm. not an ideal way of thinking about that. Um, and then pastors can fall into those traps as well that we we get tricked into thinking that that's important. So, mm. yeah, it's been an interesting discussion. Now, any any other final thoughts before we wrap up, lads? Black sh- shirted <laughs> <laughs> people. I really am not very good on that. This on at that on this podcast. I don't mean to be rude. I just we made the point again that like, I just wear, uh, you made the point, Lewis, uh, why aren't you wearing a black shirt? Or you, I think you did, Tim. And then you said, yeah, why aren't I wearing more salmon? <laughs> I mean, we're, the,
2: we're the majority here. I feel like we should be paying you.
0: Yeah, that's probably true, actually. We think you were before the podcast, so I'm using the podcast to get back at you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Keep bringing the salmon, Joel. Keep bringing the is salmon. Is it salmon? I oh, I mean, it's
0: all sorts of colours, isn't it? Yeah, there is a few different colours. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a bit, um. Check it out on YouTube if you want to see it. bit loud, isn't it, Joel? Well, that's my—that's me, <laughs> isn't it? Just a bit too Just loud. A bit. Just a bit too loud. <laughs> Lewis, thank you very much for coming on the, mm. the podcast. Right.
2: Thank you for having me on, so I can spout misinformation about Japanese history <laughs> <laughs> and You fact-checked fact it. Uh, co- fact
0: uh, it and corrected it. Yeah, yeah. So that was good. And Tim, thank you. All no right. Thank you for the article. Thank you for doing Pleasure. the uh, talk, Bible talk mm. on theology, strategy, practice, and we're gonna we'll keep talking about that. I think. Yeah,
1: it's yeah. really important. Well, I'm gonna, the, by the time this comes out, I will have preached it all weekend. I'm so. looking
0: forward to that. Are you doing yeah.
1: it on Saturday night? Saturday night and Sunday morning. Excellent. Yeah, I look both forward the caraway,
0: to it. So. F- Fantastic. Oh. Well, we've just lost the camera, but that's okay, because we're, we're wrapping up the episode. We are wrapping up. But thank you very much, Here comes, this is Hello. the
2: animated segment. Oh, yeah, maybe. There might be an
0: animated <laughs> segment. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, boys. Thanks for coming on. Thank you to everyone listening. If you have any questions, you want to continue the conversation, email me, joel at shockersorbit.com.au. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, we can answer them on the podcast. I feel like Lewis is going to send one in. What? Who is that Lewis guy? Don't ever get him on again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been cool. So we'll finish up with a one-way. One-way. Thank you. Oh, you have to on. imagine
2: that. Lewis one didn't way. do it.
1: Lewis I
0: did? didn't do the one-way. He oh, did a cheeky one-way. All right. Thanks. <laughs>